Okay, we are live. Chris, it is such a pleasure to have you on here again. I am I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked about like hanging out with you, going to my CLA, yeah. a speaker shoulder to shoulder with you, and then learning from you. That class was awesome. It was like a, a master class of applying all the things that I've, I've heard you teach before. Oh, wait, I'm doubling up. Boom. All right, sorry. <laughs> But that's the worst hearing your own voice. Yeah. On top yeah. of it. It's like, where is that coming from? But but it was just awesome to see you weave so effortlessly, so expertly the the natural farming principles, concepts, and practices into a cannabis as particular cannabis situation that people were seeking. And it just it just was like so awesome to see how you're just like oh well it's this situation so and you transform a lot of these things that may feel rigid to people that may feel like this is the scale um you bend those rules you see the principles and you apply them to the situation appropriately and it was it was really inspiring to watch so this all began for me seeing your videos online and learning from you. And uh, I, I love your YouTube still to this day. Um, and I know that everyone anticipates your next video. <laughs> and, and we all look forward to those, the, each, each new addition to that, to that amazing library. So let's start off at the beginning. You know, how long have you been practicing natural farming practices? Um, I started playing with natural farming on our farm in Hawaii in 2009. Um, and, um, it was incremental steps and it's been a journey since there. I really like the, how you took the time to really use and vet the, these practices and, and, and you always say, you know, I, I didn't instantly become this person who's like, the natural farmer, I worked into it. I tested things out. I proved it to myself. And I also got better at doing the preps. How did your perception of Korean natural farming change over that time period? Like, what was it initially? What, what, how did you view it? And how do you view it now? Cause you use it so effortlessly, so fluently now. Yeah, I think, um, I think I started very, um, you know, my dad's a realist and, uh, you know, first in, in a lot of things and business and then uh, making changes, you know, it's kind of like, okay, this might be an utter failure. And it's not, you know, well, we're expecting failure or we're going to kind of half-ass it because it might fail. Um, it's more like, hey, this is farming. Lots of things go wrong. Let's prepare for that while we pursue success. Mm. And so I think um, with natural farming, um, it was a lot of kind of head scratching. Like, I mean, it sounds good in theory, um, but a lot of questions, a lot of um, unanswered questions because I didn't have access to um get my questions answered there were no experts um and so it was okay let's try this and um yeah it was it was through seeing it work on my farm very tangibly that i gained any confidence in natural farming um and then through kind of ripping it apart and studying it and well doing it that i became very sure that um, this was the answer or a answer for our farm. And, um, and then eventually, I think um, maybe 2015, 2016, um, I came to believe that it was an answer for our planet, that there was there was a, a greater opportunity here than just my farm or some people's farms, but maybe that um, we need this. And um, yeah, it was definitely a journey. I saw 
I saw trees um, recovering from disease. Um, and that was probably my first like, ooh, okay. All right, a little little more, a little further. I'll go a little more on this. I'll, I'll try it. And then I saw drought resistance. And I was like, okay, that's a big deal. Um, we'll go a little further. And um, yeah, and then ultimately it was production and yield and cost that were, you know, they were kind of bottom line dollars and cents that really made the difference for us on our farm. And then that's kind of what makes sense everywhere in agriculture. Matt, it was really good to hang out with you in uh, at Myceliate and uh, get to meet you finally. Um, it felt very short. I felt um, pulled in all the directions of conversation and everything. And uh, it's, it's kind of scattering when you have so much going on. You're like, yeah, hey. Uh. And then I see you kind of doing the same thing. <laughs> So I, uh, I look forward to having uh, more uh, chill time to wax uh, philosophical about all, all the things that exist in the world uh, that we live in next time we hang out. Yeah, you know, I was, I was talking to Steve and William and a few folks about, you know, a retreat where we all could, you know, 30 of us Cass just mentioned that to me um, yesterday, and um, yeah, it's. I think it's. She's like, Chris, we need to have a summit. Like, yeah, okay, heck yeah. So, so maybe we'll put that on the books. Yeah, I think so. I think so. We got to figure that out. Some place where we can maybe play in the snow, you know, in between hangout sessions, and and then get all warm. In the snow. What about ocean? Okay. All right. Both. Both. Yeah. We we could switch it up every year. I like it. Uh, So yeah, we could do both if we're on the Big Island. Oh, we do both in the same day. That you know, I I mean I I don't usually talk about this, but my my parents met in Hawaii, and my parents um, my my mom's parents lived there, and her mom's parents also live there and so oh, wow. i've never been there and it's a big island uh yeah the well, they, were on, they were on they were on they were on honolulu um yeah yeah okay and Go and on. then she went to university of hawaii which i don't know where that which island that's on big island or oahu oahu's probably what makes sense yeah you should definitely go yeah, yeah. one day Totally, absolutely. Uh, there's so many, um, so many friends, and so much, uh, so much uh, incredible. There's so many incredible examples out there right now. So I would love to do it. Yeah. So well, until that day. Yeah, indeed. And I think that I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to hang out more. That was uh, Steve was talking about on the podcast. He was like, "Yeah," and then like we were, we knew we were supposed to get up at eight, and we it was two thirty. But we still couldn't stop talking. <laughs> and that's the truth. That's like, it was the best. So, so yeah, absolutely. I, I want to do that again. Um, you know, it's funny because you go to these events and uh, sometimes it does feel like overwhelming. It feels like you're exhausted afterward. But I came home pumped. I came home like, yeah. determined to like make one of these events myself have it in Texas, invite everyone from this event <laughs> to the event I want to make. And it just was, it, it just was like a realization. I mean, I've been to permaculture events for many, many years. I've been to farming events, um, eco this, eco that. But the mycology is this perfect blend of the, the realists, right? And the idealists, they temper, they, you know, they temper their sales so well. And they're so good natured about, you know, when things don't work out um, and that keeps them at, it's like, that's the ultimate recovery space. You know what I mean? Like the farm mindset that your dad raised you with, that's like, we need to be ready for failures and expect failures. That's how you succeed in business. That's how you succeed in everything really. Yeah. So, so thinking about that, 
Are there any like limitations that you see to adapting Korean natural, uh, Korean natural farming principles to everything and anything? Because from what I saw you do, it kind of made me realize like, oh, Matt, you need a library of these microbes set up exactly like the way Chris is doing it. And I'd be, I'd be, I'm even setting up the place in this new laboratory house I have for that. Cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Um, I was explaining it to my wife and she was like, we have to do all of that. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but that's the thing It's I mean, it does feel like we can take on the world. I mean, but do you see any like limitations like, oh, but we can't, you know, do this. This is what we have to face. And, you know, <laughs> absolutely. There's no, there's huge, there's it's, I don't see it as limitations at all though. I wouldn't use that word. I'd say hurdles there's 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 work to be done um and uh the work i did in the cannabis industry it was um you know i got i got paid for a job to um to establish a indoor hybrid greenhouse system on concrete and make it a robust, microbially rich, diverse ecosystem that is self-perpetuating and never needs to be swapped out. So there's this job, you know, and it's like, okay, exactly what I want. Here's what we're putting there. And then running it for two years, um, they have staff, the staff were, were growing. I wasn't growing, but troubleshooting, getting the feedback, adjusting the nuance. Like now there's a system that's bulletproof, you know, other than, you know, if they deviate from the course, you know, it's human, human components still there, um, established for that crop. And I would say that that kind of protocol per crop is what's needed. Corn, for example, if you're transitioning conventional to natural farming corn, you have to come up with a sufficient spoon feeding system for two to three years. You have to continue to give that crop the level of available nitrogen that it needs to go through that vegetative and early um, um, fruit development growth, or it doesn't matter how great of a trajectory you have towards an ecosystem. When you start from conventional and you swap over, you don't have a full functioning ecosystem, you know, in two months after, you know, inoculation. And so corn's not going to have the nutrient cycling it needs from microbes and light fertilizer. You still, so those corn is so central in the U S as far as a crop goes. If we're taking up, talking about shifting the paradigm, we're going to have to um, give an answer for those guys. And so playing with that answer, what is the transition protocol for corn, you know, to maintain production while shifting your system over? I don't have that. Um, I'm playing with that with a farmer in Iowa right now, um, but it is a hurdle. So does it work? Yeah. Do you still get yield? Yeah. But not, you can't maintain the yield the first year without some spoon feeding and, and real spoon feeding, you know, something that's going to make up for 30, 30, 30 fertilizer. Um, and, and that this is going to feed into your manual that you're writing. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the idea that there needs to be a great deal more, um crop specific information um i've gotten the opportunity to work in the last three years with you know grapes and wheat alfalfa soy corn um tree crops um cannabis and it's all it all is establishing microorganisms but there's also um there's transition protocols, there's feeding protocols, there's pest management protocols that we're kind of honing per crop. And, and the reason I say this is a hurdle is because um, ultimately you're not going to have all the pioneers. You have right now, we have these early adopters, these beautiful people that are like, ooh, 
it's about understanding, gotcha. I'm going to assimilate this information so it goes deep and I understand it. And like you were describing, where I can kind of switch things up for that process, people are taking that on themselves. They're getting to that point of proficient understanding where they're like, I can tweak this for this crop. And um, that's they're wonderful people. That's not everybody, though. A lot of farmers have been conditioned to be, here's my soil analysis and my tissue analysis and receive back this very specific product list to purchase to put on that year. It's a very, um, it's regimented, it's, it's done for you almost. And so to transition that mindset, which is all over the world, um, we're going to need better protocol to be, here's exactly what you do um, to help people navigate the learning curve. Because the only real hurdle in natural farming is the learning curve. It takes a year to learn. And so if we can help people with success in that first year by um, reducing the learning curve from experience um, and well-documented standard operating procedures or protocols, then um, yeah, then it's, and then it's a home run. It's, it's easy mode after that. So that's some of the work I'm up to. Steve was saying that there are people applying Korean natural farming to generating FPJs that are at phosphorus levels that are exactly at the levels that they're selling phosphorus fertilizer at. And people are working on getting nitrogen inputs at the same rate. So, uh, and he was talking about doing it with aquaculture and, and, and the, the nitrates from the fish manures. And it, it feels like we really could give it to them exactly like they, you know, expect it. But it sounds like you're also saying there's another layer to this, like the spoon feeding aspect, the action of it. You don't just spray once and then you're done. You don't plant and then walk away. This is a weekly, this is a conversation. This is a learning experience. It's completely different farming than a lot of these guys have experienced, right? Yeah, and nothing new, Matt, as we know. Um, this is something that was done. You know, yeah. this was this was a way. And so, like the cannabis farm, for example, once really established, now it's top dressing compost and bokashi. And it just there's there's this wheel happening underground. There's this engine running like a Ferrari engine at high rev. You know, and so the nutrient cycling that's available to these plants, the stuff that's being broken down, the stuff available to these microbes so they can process all that mineral um, in a battery just a little lower in the soil is, I mean, it's there, it's happening and it becomes, you know, really automatic or easy um, in a lot of ways. Um, and that's spoil a farmer. And that's IMO compost. I just want people to, to, to clarify that. Not necessarily. So um, once you establish that soil, you're able then to just top dress it with almost unfinished materials because there's so much worms. There's so much light that that's disappearing in two, three days. Everything's gone. So you're just mulching and top dressing and mulching and top dressing. And you're just feeding this system right now. Think about it as putting gas in the tank for the Ferrari. Wow, the Ferrari that's wonderful because so many people worry about being on this endless train of buying the highest quality compost. Um, but to develop it, IMOs, develop it with indigenous microbes, and then to be able to use your compost, even if you're not like the, the compost wizard, the worms... And, and the IMOs themselves, between the two of them, they're, they're a catch-all and they're, they're a safety measure on all this, especially the worms. I only learned this, um, and I had heard students say it, but I hadn't seen the studies. But the fact that worms are a fail-safe on pathogens, so, you know, it, a few weeks- Worms with, don't allow E. coli in their presence, yeah. Right, right. And so this, this is just really exciting because folks don't understand, uh, you know, I, even I didn't understand initially when we started this journey, like, I mean, I wrote that first book with 
with uh, those 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 handful of preps in it that you were demonstrating on on YouTube like six years ago, I really didn't understand. And you, again, you were so patient <laughs> about it. But but that's the thing is it's like this is the way we turn off our self reliance. I mean our our, our reliance upon these petrochemicals. Um, and this is how we turn on local resilience. Yeah, I, I get the, um, the great privilege of um, going down to Costa Rica next week. Um, because somebody got paid a bunch of money to plant 12,000 trees, and they planted like 3,500, and they're all dying and they're all root bound and the soil wasn't prepared. And so to, you know, go down and teach this group of farmers how to do this while I do it and then leave, you know, it's a three month, three month project, leave and them have everything they need to maintain the health that's established while they plant the rest of these trees and and have no need for imports have no need for you know more things but here here's your tools here's your containers here's your lab here's how you run it and do that and you're good for the next 10 generations you know that that concept is um one i love i've come to love I love the idea of um, aid that is um, self-perpetuating and sovereign for farmers. So, yeah, it's um, I think that can be um, established for giant ag as well. Same system. Uh, we're proving that. It's almost an impossible wealth. Um, it's like, you know how we we say things are invaluable. It's like the wealth of a, you know what I mean? The, the worth of a human life is in, inestimable. Um, the potential and fertility of the earth is the same. We've just created this system where we've hidden um, the actual attributes of nature from ourselves and hidden the true pathways to connection from ourselves. It's beguiling. Yeah. Well, and it's, it is, but it's also, and I would, I would say that as a organic farmer, before I got natural farming, it was discouraging. It, it was, it was, it was defeating, you know, that I, we're doing all these things, right. Everything that we've been told that you need to do for organic agriculture and then to have it just be failing and not profitable, not sustainable. Um, and now to, um, to have a means of understanding nature, I, I think, I think mm -hmm. that's where, where, where I come continually and I'll, I'll repeat this. I think, um, maybe everywhere I talk about it, but, um, is that the, the real power of natural farming is the understanding the the kind of key to understanding that it can create for a farmer where okay i have this i play with it a little bit and all of a sudden i'm like oh i get how nature does this thing i can yes i can follow this rigid protocol that is laid out in natural farming and and i think part of the reason man and it's maybe a little subconscious that i haven't made more videos is like here's the simple if i make it if i do talk about all the things and there's lots of things to talk about then everybody's off to this little section and they're going to miss the simple but i think what i hope and what i see and i've seen over and over is people getting this concept and then all of a sudden it's like the light bulbs there and it's always on and now they're like i get how nature does these things and i'm just working with nature to do these things and now i can ad lib a little bit because i actually understand it you know and and it's not the understanding of i know the you know um dna profiles of everything in my 
compost, that I have this massive, elaborate, high science tech laid out where I'm, you know, splicing and selecting. It's this, you know, 30,000 foot view of nature does this and I can foster it and tend to it and benefit from it. And this is a viable way to farm. And that understanding when that kind of dawns for a farmer, it's kind of like, all right, cool. Have fun with that. Good luck. You know, you need nothing else. Um, and, um, and that doesn't mean there's not a whole lot more to learn. I continue to learn things just about natural farming that boggle my mind. Um, but it's, um, it is a pretty amazing thing to see. And it's amazing to see, um, it's very satisfying to see in a place where there's no clouding of high science. They're, they're the simplest farmers in, you know, um, Cambodia or the hill tribes of Myanmar. And they literally, they take it, they watch how it works. And then they're like, we're just going to do this, yeah. you know? And, and that's, um, I think that kind of reality can sweep across the world in a, in a pretty um, revolutionary way. And what's so fantastic is it does two things. It, on top of that, in response to the whole high science thing, it, it does two things very, very well. It demonstrates how we can, with very simple hands-on action, participate in the highest forms of science. Yeah, and like you were talking about. Yeah, and then it also, um, I would say, is so incredible because it really works so that simplicity scales up to the highest levels of science. And because it does that, and because it's stuff that we just didn't do stuff that, I mean, we're working with sterilized plants, you know, for the past 50 years, right. And sterilized soils. Um, we now know that sterilized soils and sterilized plants don't grow root hairs. You need <laughs> the microbes there. It's, it's, it, so, so this is something that, is teaching the highest levels of science the actual laws and boundaries of the natural processes and cycles. And so it's humbling as nature should always be, right? That, that's uh, to me always a sign that like we're, we're in, the, in the presence of nature. You know, you go out, out into the, uh, the wilderness, you know, you go up in the mountains and you're like, whoa, it's like, that's the sign. And it's the same thing when you're growing stuff or you see a tree bounce back and you thought it was going to die. You recognize some things. I mean, I just did that, but that's not me doing that. That's nature. Yeah. That's me yeah. doing exactly what nature wanted me to do. And it feels so good. It feels so right. Yeah. So, yeah. And speaking of those kinds of things where <laughs> sometimes you go out on a limb, sometimes you discover things. Uh, I was talking to Steve about super lab and this, that's, that, that was such a happy accident and such an incredible discovery. Um, how did you figure out that it was propylene sulfur bacteria that it was expressing in there? So that, um, is actually Steve's brainchild. Um, Though I was talking about food, we, we, we would talk a lot. Um, we talked a lot before more less recently we've been busy, but, um, in the early days, um, there's a lot of conversation about what could be. And one of the biggest kind of, um, question mark, exciting, um, questions to ask in natural farming for me is as I play with substrates and different foods how can we affect that diversity that that um that swath how can we better foster um transferring and cultivating the, that natural ecosystem and um, those conversations um steve steve started playing with and so he added um he added what's that seaweed he added he added uh, blue spirulina. He added spirulina to the LAB process, and uh, he got a 
yeah, a indigenous culture of microbes that like that food. And, uh, and they ran away with it. And then he did his analysis and just shared it with me. So um, definitely gets all the uh, kudos for that, um, that discovery play. Um, but he told, um, yeah. He told me to ask you in light of that, because I, I asked him about that. Yeah, he, he said, I should ask you about IPMO. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard that before? You know, I hear the name being dropped here and there, and uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, it's always associated with you. So I would love to hear about it with everyone for the first time. <laughs> um, it's, um, again, kind of a nature, nature learning. You know, so many things I learned by being on the farm. I'm farming 750 acres. We need to make it work. And I'm failing uphill basically, mm. um, through blood, sweat, and tears. I don't have, um, a teacher for scaling, um, and all of this. And I'm, I'm succeeding and failing and moving forward with the learning from the failures. And, um, so I had a, um, busy work time. I, um, was making my liquid IMO. Actually, I was making a new batch of IMO three. I'd run out of IMO for making my liquid IMO for spraying my trees. And so I'm making a new batch. I go to this stockpile of substrate I have because I have a lab with all my materials in it. They're all ready for me whenever I need. I just walk in there and I can make anything for my farm. And I don't, and that's really, I think the key for natural farming. If you want to farm this way, set yourself up with the lab where everything's there. Um, and that is getting over the hump of it feeling hard. All of a sudden it feels easy. So the lab is the key, um, which is the next video I need to make Matt, which is how to set up your lab and get yourself ready for. That's what I'm death. doing right now. I'm like, and, and I'm like wondering, like, should it be like extra dry? Could I put it in the cupboards in the kitchen? Like yep. I'm like figuring yep. out where I to mean, put it. I mean, give all the ideas, help you guys not have so many questions, but um, I'm in my lab. I got my substrate. However, it's Hawaii. And so I've got weevils now in my substrate. I, I pour it into my box to start mixing everything. And it's full of these little beetles. Yeah. Um, they're little tiny black things in my grain. And I'm like, Oh, darn it. Do I need, can I stop? And I'm like, I'm 40 minutes to where I would buy more grain. And I got a full work day and a, and a busy farming week. And so I'm like, no, we'll just let them go. And so I make my IMO3 and um, it's, it's finishing up. I'm exploring it, looking at all the chunks of fuzz and, and mycelium that's invaded this whole uh, swath of material. And I see all these little white puffballs. And every time I find a weevil, they're covered in a white puffball, little fuzz you know, like, like little cotton balls. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Very curious. I wish I could stop and throw this all under my microscope and spend a day and a half researching it, but I don't have time right now. So I throw it in the storage bin. I make my liquid IMO, get it started. That's going out in 36 hours on the tractor. Um, one of my staff is spraying that out. Um, I am walking through the spray swath that um, my staff sprayed um, just as a good farmer observing my, the work and walking through the trees. How did the trees react? Did we knock off flowers and all the things? And I see in some of the crook of the trees, um, I see some puffballs. I see white little puffballs on um, green stink bugs which is one of our main pests it almost took our business out before it's this little beetle um, with a carapace and it's covered in the same fuzz my weevils were covered in and i'm like oh that's interesting what's happening here and so i could not resist at that point i went full dive into beetles and pathogens and all this thing only to discover that the leading pathogen for carapace insects and beetles in general 
or fungi. Mm -hmm. And then um, I see some of the scale we have. We have this thing, white-felted coccid, and there's little bits on our farm that they were predated on. They were being eaten by some of the bugs, and there was also a fuzz that got on some of them. And um, and um, so I logged that away. It was like, oh, okay. So I am taking cultures from the wild, and by adding a substrate that they like to eat, which is that like chitinase protein in the in, um, that they're multiplying in my process of turning and keeping aerobic and that I can actually get transfer through a liquid foliar application of that pest management organism. And um, that was like, I was excited. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't talk about it. I was farming. And really, I didn't make any videos. I didn't teach until I was handing off my management to my younger brother and moving away from the farm, which was 2015, 2016, really 2014. It started, I started teaching. Um, and so um, Steve calls me up and he's like, Chris, Zimbabwe here. Um, I've got this big you know, project on 300 acres. And um, the locusts are coming through. We're, we're getting destroyed by grasshoppers. It's marching through the farm. Um, it's killing my hemp project. And uh, I got this big, important field. I'm like, here's something. He's like, what, is, what can we do in natural farming? I was like, well, here's something I discovered a few years ago. Da, 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 da. And I laid out the whole thing. And I was like, so try it a couple ways here. You can try it with an IMO1 collection where you put the, the beetles material in that rice box that you're putting out in nature so you're cultivating in something on food that they would like to eat and try it like i did that imo3 and so he tried it both ways he said he felt like it was more effective he got better growth on the carapace when he did it with the imo1 um, and then grew it out with imo3 and then he sprayed his field with the liquid imo from this and he had uh, grasshopper die-off and then prevention the rest of the farm continued to get the pressure and got eaten by a lot of grasshoppers and his section that he sprayed this hemp project that he sprayed with liquid imo with the ipmo in it he had no more damage and he went full crop no damage so um, since then we played with it other people have played with it on their farms and we've had um, very similar success where we can wildcraft Bacillus thuringiensis, or no, um, uh, what's the uh, beetle thing they sell? Bavaria bassiana. You know, Bavaria bassiana is all over the world. It's in all kinds of places. We find it in so many soil types. It's and it's slightly different than the one they made for the lab. You know, it's a patented product um, because it's a specific strain. However not all of it's exactly DNA the same. And so there's indigenous versions, but then there's also things that predate, that are, that are predatory to, to um, beetles that aren't that specific microbe. You know, there's lots of other things that eat it. And so um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's simple tech. It's, it's a, a very, and it's again, back to that, what is the food source we're providing? to cultivate the microbe we want. And I, and I would hazard to say that it's it's even even a little bit more than just the food source because of the process of doing IMOs. Um, as you scale up, um, you speed up. Like the, the aggressiveness of the microbiology, like when you're doing the higher level IMOs, I mean, it's, you know, it's so fast at times. And that's why it's so effective as a, in, in a farming situation. Like, so I knew Organics Alive had this pro product years ago where they were feeding like insect frass to worms and they were like super secret about the fact it was insect frass. And so they're making chitosan, right? And, you know, and th so they were able to take down the chitin and uh, they're making chitinase. And so they were able to take down all these different bugs and everything but I'm sure that product was hyper limited because they're feeding them like insect substrate to get, and it's just out of the worms. And then 
the consistency of it, it's like, you got to wait for the worms to do their work. It's like a few months and you're getting there, you're getting there. Farmers lose an entire season that way. But the fact that you can, I mean, it seems like once you've got your library up, you can turn around and pivot and react and, and change the course within days or a week. And at most a week um, for almost every single um, thing that you need to do in reaction once your library is going. Yeah. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah, it is um, because it's such, and that's like, that's where there's learning curve. I am most so nuanced. And it requires this very specific process. And, um, but the process is all about creating this ideal environment for fungal growth. It's, and, and it's, and it's, um, it, it's really where the difference is. That's why I believe this works is because we're so able to produce this kind of inoculum, a, a really effective inoculum. That's, you know, the, the preps, the ferments, you know, there's things similar in the world that people do. There's nothing like IMO. Mm -hmm. IMO is this really excellent process and the change since it came to the U S the change I got to do with bringing in humic acid and, and, um, you know, uh, carbon material, um, to the instruction has, um, I think really made all the difference in getting it fungal you know and uh because if you're and this is back to what are you growing and what is the protocol for what you're growing if you're growing rice then you can really um bacillus subtilis can be literally this microbe that you run your farm with. you know it's it's the need is is uh there for this microbe to be running away with your rice patty and it makes everything work that isn't the case for trees. We need the fungus. It isn't the case for cannabis. And so um, to be able to, um, you know, and so with a slightly different feed mix to be able to create something that's a little more row crop friendly or a little more tree friendly. Um, yeah, but yeah, the process is beautiful. It's something that nature does, um, caring for the aerobic nature of it and, getting a really balanced, balanced food. Um, yeah. So I, I think, um, I think it's something also, um, that can be kind of incorporated almost like a widget for a website. It can be incorporated into other farming practices, people that are big into compost or people that are big into, um, Johnson Sioux bioreactor. You want to take a Johnson Sioux bioreactor, just natural pharmify it you know, and add your IMO collections to the Johnson Sioux bioreactor, your IMO three. Now you have established diverse microbial community in your, rather than just whatever is on the substrate that you throw in. There. And that will self-perpetuate because worms work with it. So you can, you can kind of take this tech and plug it into, because I think pretty much once you establish diverse microbial life in your ag land, you can just compost. And, um, and you can do these kind of bigger material production systems, but you're just adding in your inoculum. now. You're just, you, you're just continuing the natural farming tech, but you're just, you know, salt and peppering your casserole with diverse microbial life. And because you're sourcing it from the actual area, you're not bringing something that's going to senesce and then leave. Like effective microbes, one of the selling points is that it doesn't stick around. It, it, it senesces and is eaten by the IMOs. So it's like, why not just make the IMOs? <laughs> yeah, but those products, they, they work for people. You know, mm -hmm. they, they get six months of, you know, nutrient cycling boost and and they apply it again they can see the outcome of their their purchase um and so you know i again i think um you know i'm really careful not to knock into those things because they're they're a gateway drug to imos if you will you know they're and they're, they're in like, imos there's just a lot more yeah. in imos yeah yeah, that's so, it's so vital 
to see, I think the, the, the ability for it to be applied in, in multiple areas. Um, what you, you were recently in Ireland, right? And you were working with dairies. So how does this apply there? Yeah, I actually was just on the phone with Tom Stack from Ireland this morning, uh, a bit earlier. And, uh, He's taking some of that IMO three we made while we were there and making IMO four and talking about how it's going. He's got so much interest, so much excitement going on in Ireland around natural farming because um, by a huge part of the excitement comes from he's crushing it. They have they have um, like four weeks of drought right now and everybody's grass is brown except his. His is lush and green and rich and he's doing strip grazing and mowing and you know um he's um you know he says that these guys come to this farm and they're kind of like confused a little by his explanation he's explaining things and and he's kind of like he doesn't feel like he has all their attention and then they go out and look at the grass and they won't leave and I'm like, maybe, Tom, you start your talk with the grass. Go show them the grass, and then you explain how. Because then they're asking all the questions and all the things yeah. he said. You know, they're, they're trying to pull it all out of his brain. But, um, no, he's had a, a ton of success. He came out to a class in Connecticut and then just went back and did it. He didn't, like, stop for air, nothing. He just switched his farm over to natural farming, and he's um, paying himself. I said, Tom, but the important question is, are you paying yourself? He's like, yeah. And we started laughing and, uh, and he's like, but my mower broke yesterday. So that's 11,000, you know, you oh. get kicked in the balls, you get kicked in the balls as a farmer. I said, yeah, that's the part you can't teach with natural farming. You can't teach people how to have steel balls for getting kicked over and over because that'll happen. It's, it's part of it. So I think, uh, natural farming being something that's this constant, and is profitable um, while you already have to deal with all the crap that's going to come at you just from nature as well and equipment failure and a fence broke and, you know, all the things. Um, but yeah, it works really well in Ireland. In Ireland, you have a lot of smallholder farmers. They didn't get as much of the chemical fertilizer kind of developing there because they were a little behind. So they're like a generation ahead of us in the transition. And um, I think that if I had to guess, they're probably ground zero for the developed world having um, a revolution of sorts. That's unbelievable. I was an Irish. So I'm going to go back next year. Oh, my boys want to want to go so bad. I was an Irish studies minor. Um, so Ireland is in my blood, but also deeply in my heart. So just being practical about this so you're 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 doing um imo treatments on the grasses but are you also you know giving like lab to the cows um so yeah there's a few things you can do for dairy um the the main thing the 80 percent of your effort or 80 percent of your turn comes from this very easy process which is spraying liquid IMO on grass. So he's got two brew tanks going and uh, twice a week, he's getting his liquid IMOs because he's got like 130 acres to cover. So he's just keeps getting it out, keeps getting it out, rain or shine. And, um, and that is establishing this life and um, which goes to work every morning, every evening, 24 hours a day, they're working on um, a healthy ecosystem. Now the cows um, used to come in after eating grass all day and they bay for, as Tom would say, the poison, the kind of your, your haze and your GMO, you know, feeds. And, um, and so they'd feed it, they'd feed it, you know, that was the, that's the conventional system. And he said, now they go out and they eat for three hours or so and they sit around and chew their cut. They're not eating all day because they've gotten become nutrient satisfied. Their, mm. their grass is satisfying their bellies so they don't need to run around and eat. 
and they don't come in and bathe for the food. They're, they're chewing their cud in the evenings. He doesn't feed them to bring them into the milking parlor. They just walk in chewing their cud and let them eat. It's super peaceful. Um, I have some videos on my Instagram of um, the cows just hanging out there. They're not getting fed anything and they're just sitting to be milked. There's just their, uh, their thing. Uh. And so he had uh, the initial thing where he stopped antibiotics. Mm. Um, and so he, um, he didn't try and save the cows that got sick. A few of his cows got sick um, and he didn't, do a bunch of things when they were calving and the cows, he, he calls them. He says the calves that are, were his first round of calves from that process of switching over to natural farming. He says they're bulletproof. They're they're They're, they don't have the pull down from um, getting sick. They don't have the things that his previous generation of cows had. And so he's established this herd now where he doesn't have to chase them with antibiotics. He washes their teats with apple cider vinegar and uh, lab is something that's coming in now after milking where you give them a spray of lab on their teats. Um, liquid IMO goes into their, um, their poop trough. So they have like a, a grate where the poop falls through and the urine. And so he keeps that and he's letting it cure for months. The farmers are trying to get it out because they want storage. He's letting it cure because it doesn't smell. Ah. And, uh, and so he's letting it cure and process with microbes. And then he's putting it out and he's putting it out light so that his, um, so it's not hurting microbial activity and not getting all bacterially imbalanced for a short time. And, um, but really it's, it's the grass, Matt. These cows have nutrient rich food, no poisons, and they're healthy and they're productive. His milk fats have all gone up. He's getting paid more because he has organic farm and uh and he's making his own silage and his silage the normal average for silage is seven to nine his silage is 18 in bricks Woo. and so he doesn't buy any more feed he just makes his own silage with now all this excess grass he has and um and it's amazing food for his animals and uh so the whole system is why it works but it's the cows are healthy because they have the best food. And that's what we need. Humans, we need our grocery stores to be full of medicine because it's all grown natural farming. And then we're not chasing all the stuff. We're not chasing all the things to make ourselves feel better. How do you feel like when you see these headlines say that like there's a nitrogen fertilizer shortage and there's you know food shortages coming? I'm just kicking myself that I'm not more prepared online for everybody to have the answer that I don't have more information out there or a book or we're doing it now. We're doing it now though. (laughs) Yeah. So I I just, you know, it's going to come, we're going to have food crises um, because this systems um, we have a broken ag system, a destructively broken one. And, um, um, we produce food for the masses, which is great. And farmers are doing a great job of, you know, getting that done. You know, there's so much ingenuity and hard work that goes into our food production. So in saying we have a broken system, I'm no way knocking the work of the farmer. I mean, they're crushing it. They're, they're, producing one farmer can produce a quantity by weight of food that we've, we've never seen in, in the history of mankind, you know, because of the mechanization and all that. And so we're, we're there in one way at the pinnacle of our production and the other way where we have a really broken system to do that. So um, I see, I, I think it's going to be really stressful for a lot of people. And I think we're going to see real hunger Um real starvation and uh sadly it'll be in the places that um aren't as privileged um as we are here in the u.s and um yeah so i'm starting an india project awesome you know yeah there's a there's a group that um their kind of um heart is to keep the land in the hands of the poorest farmers while supporting them and providing them with 
buyers and uh, farm tech that um, allows them to be sustainable. Um, so I'm excited about that. I've always wanted to go to India. Yeah, I mean, w- where have you gone? What what places have you been able to visit as a consultant? Um, Cambodia, Thailand, several times. Uh, Burma, Myanmar, a few times. Um, definitely uh, learning in Korea. Went to Korea eleven times. Um, but otherwise, mostly in the U.S. Mostly um, different places around here. Um, got to work with some uh, first nation tribes um in the u.s and um yeah but um a lot of remote work um through the internet i've been able to have real uh, mentorship with uh, guys in africa there's a guy in africa no social media presence or hardly at all but he's got a like 8,000 bird chicken coop, um, like 1,000 pig piggery, like he is a like relatively wealthy farmer. And he just, he took the videos online of natural farming and did it. And he is crushing it. And he asked me questions periodically, really good questions. And he's just, he's just farming with this text full tilt and making a great livelihood for himself and um and there's people like that um i was working with a project in uganda um and gave them real simple tech to get going and they were doing really well and then um, my good friend ray yoon uh jumped in he was involved with uh master cho and cho yun san for a while and now he lives in canada kind of does his own thing he's a uh, tai chi master but um he likes Jadam. And so he's just saw them through the network, connected with them and has volunteered to go out there. And he's been out there working with them, doing stuff in Africa. And so, yeah, I've gotten to kind of remotely help um, a bunch of places in the world. And I get questions all the time from different places, but I haven't gotten to go. And uh, I think there's lots of people that will be uh, going in the future here. We can just support them. So that's one of the main things on the horizon for me is um, helping to facilitate the infrastructure of a network so that that work can continue beyond i can't do that alone so so that a lot of these really good natural farmers that are developing can go and freely share yeah i look forward to that um i was thinking about uh you developing your own database as well around natural farming adaptations would be incredible yeah yeah that would be a really really good thing that's uh yeah we'll we'll just have to keep uh teaming up matt because uh, i think you're uh you're pretty amazing at uh some of the things you create so once you create your soil database maybe you'll have some time to uh, help me out heck yeah well i've got (laughs) got to make it i've got i'm in the middle of like trying to suss that all out there's like all these layers to that so what speaking of going big speaking of going wild what if you had all the resources in your hands if you had unlimited money had, you know the ability to be funded what would you do um i would hire a team from students um and um, establish learning labs probably all over the world, um, um, uh, setting up indigenous farmers to be the farms that the learning labs are on um, and giving them support to be the teachers of their area um, where um, I wouldn't bring over any tech or um, supplies to those countries. We would just use whatever we could find easily in place and set them up with... uh, basically natural farming in their language by a farmer in their country. Mm. And, um, and we'd create a support network for those, those teachers um, to, to show an example, the, the health um, of it. I would also set up um, a, a, a research facility, a real, and that's where, you know, I'd have a bunch of nerdy natural farmers um, 
running it where we're asking all these questions I want to know the answer to. And, um, and what else? I think this is all possible. Probably probably make a much better online uh, free education system. Heck yeah. Speaking of that, you have your website is naturalfarming.co, right? Uh, ChrisTrump.com right now, but um, okay. I might change that eventually. But yeah, it's um, just ChrisTrump.com. And um, what else were you going to ask? Sorry. Uh, I, I was just going to uh, talk about, um, you know, what what other videos, what other resources where folks can find you? Yeah, you know, know you a have, lot of... You have a new course, right? Yeah, I have an online course. Um, and um, there's more being added to that all the time. Um, I've been really behind on adding to it, but it's a full 40 hour course um, of video you can watch over and over. Anytime I add to it, it'll be you, it's a lifetime membership. So anything that gets added later is all yours as well. Um, that you get a certificate, a proficiency certificate saying you've um, gone through the hours and uh, you're encouraged to teach an introductory course or teach some of what you learned. So you get a certificate showing your work. And um, yeah, that's that's can be found in, under the courses tab at chrisstrump.com. Um, I am going to make OHN and FAA available on my website again here in the next month. I stopped doing that as I was uh, traveling too much to fulfill those orders. But uh, I have a friend that wants to fulfill those orders. And we've made hundreds of gallons of both that are um, ready, just kind of uh, waiting to be uh, put online. And nice. um, yeah, and then I'm going to be sharing some of what I'm up to in Costa Rica via my Instagram. And if I can get it together, Twitter. Um, but I think that project will be very entertaining to watch. So I encourage people to jump on. I'm at Soil Steward on Instagram and just give a follow so you can watch some of that uh, fun stuff as we tackle revitalizing the trees, but also setting them up with a lab for perpetuity. I appreciate how much content you have shared and provided for everyone. And I am going to, I'm, I'm going to be building that lab. I'm building that library of microbes. I was explaining it to my wife. I was like, you know, you have this compost, you've got all these different things, but it's nothing like the clarity and the, 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 the precision of having a library of inputs in creating natural farming. It's like, there's nothing equivalent to it. And so so I, I was, I was just playing. I was like, we have to dedicate this area of the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, I've had those conversations. Yes. Uh, we need an extra room in the house for, for children, but I also need this room for ferments. Yeah. Just ferments. <laughs> so I'm doing it and I encourage everyone to take advantage of the incredible library of information that Chris provides on his website. The YouTube's great. Subscribe to his YouTube. Um, join the 43,000 other people that, you know, love it. But go to his website as well because the way it's organized, the recipes are laid out. You're going to end up like printing things out. You're going to end up signing up to his mailing list. You're going to probably sign up to the course. I'm a member of his course as well. It's, it's fabulous. So support Chris any way you can follow Chris everywhere he is. And this is just the beginning. Uh, the, the work you're doing is today and that you've been doing is all seeds for something that I see is going to just be like floodgates at a certain point. When we hit that tipping point, people are going to be like, Oh, how stupid were we? And it's going to be all these crazy, wild and fun adaptations and people that we've never met are going to rise and be heroes and stars. And there's going to be so much variety and diversity. Uh, it's it's going to be the new the new regenerative world. So thank you so yeah, much. We're going to make we're going to make the farmers the rock stars. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's already happening. I mean, Jean-Martin Fortier is like a TV star now. Much more than he's a nice. farmer, I think. So it's, it's cool. real and it's happening. 
Matt, I love you, man. And I appreciate your work and, uh, and the support of having a, such a wonderful peer in this space. So keep it up, man. Keep smiling. And thank you for sharing your, your uh, overflow with all of us. <laughs> it was really good fun hanging out. Uh, it's always so much fun hanging out. I, we have to do it again in person. We have to make this summit happen. I, I'm, I'm just honored to know you and uh, it's, it's going to be so fun to, to see your adventures in Costa Rica and to see everything that comes forward. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thank you everyone for watching. Thank you for being patient with the technical difficulties, the late start, but this was a regenerative future. Thank you so much. Grow abundantly, learn daily, and live regeneratively. I'm Matt Powers. Have a good day, everyone. See you guys.